This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, have a fun and delicious start to your morning with Post Nutter Butter Cereal. 19-ounce boxes are just 99 cents. That's a wow savings of up to 80% versus traditional grocery stores. Also, Star Kissed Chunk Light Tuna, 5-ounce cans are buy two, get one free. That's a wow savings of up to 64%. Limit three free. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Here go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. Once again, it's just going to be me rolling with you. Um, it should come as no surprise that Dan and I have fallen behind on our season previews. That It's crazy that the regular season is just a few days away. So he's actually recording a Spurs preview right now while I'm recording a Pacers preview. But I'm not too upset about it because I've got a great guest with me, uh, Grant Afseth, who writes for IndianaSportsCoverage.com. And he is the editor for Miles Turner, uh, Miles Turner's official website, which is pretty cool. I, I think we'll get some insight there that we couldn't get from a lot of other writers. So thanks for joining us, Grant. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, of course. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of Five Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. The, uh, someone who writes for Indiana Sports Coverage and, and edits Miles Turner's website, as you guys can probably guess, we're going to be previewing the Indiana Pacers. Um, they had they had an interesting offseason, um, to say the least. It was, in my mind, at least at the time, probably the most shocking move of the summer in a summer that was just packed with shocking moves. Um, Oklahoma City really came out of nowhere to, to snag Paul George. And then it was sort of um, adjust on the fly after that for the Pacers. What did you think about the Paul George trade and just sort of the offseason generally, Grant? Well, when you look at the Paul George trade, you know, they acquired Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. You're not getting equal value for a top 15, arguably by some top 10 player in the NBA. And you also have to think Paul George is arguably top five at his position and Victor Oladipo does not come close to being a top five shooting guard. So they, they didn't really necessarily come close to getting value, but that's expected considering those circumstances, of course, with the agent 
and his desire to go to the Lakers, or at least at the time, will, time will tell for that. But yeah, it was it was very surprising, and I I don't know. I, I feel like they got the best that they could trading to the. I, I wouldn't say that. I would have preferred Gary Harris personally from the Denver Nuggets yeah. that trade off. But I I yeah I overall I think it was a solid package, but it just wasn't like my preference. Yeah, if that Gary Harris deal was on the table, and I, you know, I've heard that from a bunch of different people. I don't know the specifics about it, but to me, that's a guy that has, um, I, I won't say significantly more upside than Oladipo, but I, I do think he'll be a little bit better in the long run. Um, but like you said, it was it was a really weird spot for the Pacers. Um, he clearly wasn't going to come back. He's made it. I think in certain circles, obvious where he wants to go next. I mean, the Lakers have been already slapped on the wrist for for tampering with him. So it was a really weird and tough situation for the Pacers. Absolutely. It was, it was a very strange situation, as you were saying. And you, you can't really do much as a general manager because the team wants to remain competitive. And whether, you know, that's admirable and all, and whether, you know, we have difference of opinion, like from an outside looking in standpoint, from the management, they want to be competitive and you don't want to trade your superstar in the Eastern conference. If you do want to be competitive, because of course you don't want to be lit up by Paul George in a playoff series. If you're confident you're going to make it. Yeah. Um, the guy that they did get back, like I said, I, I do think Gary Harris probably has a little bit more long-term upside. Um, but I'm, I am not one of these people who's kind of given up on Victor Oladipo yet. He is 25 years old, so he's still two or three years away from his prime. I, I actually was just doing, just looking at his numbers before we started recording. And for his career, which has only been four seasons, he's averaging 15.9 points, 4.4 rebounds, 3.7 assists, um, and 1.5 steals. And the list of guys who've done that over the last four seasons is, is really short. It's just Westbrook. Uh, Curry, Harden, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, John Wall, and Eric Bledsoe. So he's in pretty good company, and like I said, he's pretty young. So I, I think there's reason for some optimism with this guy. I mean, obviously he's not Paul George, but I, I do think that there's still maybe another level we can see from him. I definitely agree with you. I was analyzing his his numbers from when he was with Oklahoma City for the one season and compared to his Orlando seasons, and it's just – he just hasn't been able to put his offensive skills together, but the opportunity hasn't been altogether for him either because he's not a pure shooter and he's not necessarily a, a dynamic enough playmaker to where you're like, okay, I'm going to build a team where Oladipo is my top playmaking option and he's going to bring us to the promised land. So uh, it's like he never has that that solid in-between ground like I believe he could have in Indiana because Orlando, of course, they, they just didn't have pieces around him. And when you're playing with the highest usage player in NBA history in Oklahoma City, there's not much opportunity with the ball either. So it's kind of a, a tough situation in both fronts. Yeah, I, I can't think of <laughs> – there aren't many situations that are worse for a guy like Ovadipo than playing alongside Russell Westbrook. His skill set just didn't mesh. And really, it's it would be hard for – most players to fit in with a guy who, like you said, had the highest uses percentage of all time. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Paul George fits with that. I, I think he'll be a little bit better just because he's, he has more ability as a spot up guy, but 
this is obviously a much, much better situation for Oladipo, what he's walking into with Indiana. I couldn't agree more because, you know, I, I while I do respect the fact that Indiana does have a lot of confidence in him, I think that's obviously for good reason too. As, you know, we're, we're two people that haven't given up on 25-year-old Oladipo. And as that stat you were saying with the company that he was in with his last season's average – like it's just it's unique because you know when you also take a look from beyond scoring and having the ball in your hands Westbrook eats up a lot of rebounds too and there's going to be a huge void for rebounding in Indiana with Paul George being gone and having players like Collison and Bogdanovich in the starting lineup because you know uh, Miles Turner he's not like he hasn't been a, a double digit rebound guy yet he and Thaddeus Young, he kind of had one season where he had around nine. I, I yeah, there's just going to be a lot of opportunity around the box score for all of the so. Yeah, I think you know I would agree with that. I, I think he'll have an opportunity to grab boards. I think they'll probably trust him to create. Obviously, a lot more than OKC did. So maybe he can up his assist percentage a little bit again. Um, the one thing that's kind of concerning, and this I think this plays into the fact that he was with Westbrook too, but his free throw rate has dropped in each season that he's been in the NBA. And I think if he can pull that up, if he can figure out how to get to the rim and draw some contact, that could that could kind of take his scoring to a new level in terms of efficiency. He's never been terribly efficient. Like his true shooting percentage is generally below average. So I think if he can get to the line, that would certainly help. I definitely agree with you there because in Indiana, they also um, they've had a problem with getting the free throw line too. But because when you look at their perimeter in the last few seasons, yes, Jeff T got to the free throw line. But one of the, the weird traits about Paul George was that he doesn't get to the free throw line too yeah. often for usage either. So, you know, like it's one of those interesting areas that they can kind of carve out an advantage. And I do think uh, an underrated element when you uh, look at both the you know the sets of rosters that Oladipo has been on throughout his NBA career, none of them have had the spacing of what Indiana's front court could provide. Because Miles Turner obviously is a stretch five, and we we don't know his his ultimate potential as a perimeter shooter, and he's already proven himself as a mid range shooter. And all and Thaddeus Young before his wrist injury was a reliable. I'd say a decent volume perimeter shooter. He's not someone like a Ryan Anderson, obviously, who's going to just can home like three, three threes on a night where you know he's feeling it. But like that, that that's still good spacing because it's not like you have a Taj Gibson where you know he's he's kind of a mid range player or an interior player. And I I just think that overall, and you look at that perimeter, not to go too long on this, but like they also have some shooters on their perimeter outside of like almost everybody outside of Lance Stevenson on their perimeter is a reliable jump shooter. And you never know, he could be a reliable low volume shooter too. That's a really good point about uh, young and Turner that I hadn't really thought of in, in relation to how they fit with Oladipo. Like he's, I think obviously more of a slasher. I think he's shown like last season, he shot 36% from three. And if he repeated that, that'd be great. Um, but I think most people would probably point to him as a slasher as sort of his main ability. And if the lane is just completely open, I mean, think about the difference between <laughs> driving in on a, in a lineup that has Turner and Young spacing out as opposed to like Steven Adams and Ennis Cantor at the same time. Like that's going to be a huge difference. And even without Andre Robertson too. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great point too. Like <laughs> he could he could have lineups where he's basically the one slasher and it's four guys spacing the floor. So that that's really interesting to me. Um the Definitely. Other guy that, and I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, like uh one of the interesting parts about studying Oladipo's like, you know, specific contributions on offense was that he I believe he ranked in the twenty-third percentile in unguarded catch and shoot efficiency. And I definitely feel like he's more comfortable being, as you said, a slasher getting to the rim and you don't want him to be more of that, like clay Thompson, you know, high volume catch and shoot guy. So I think he's definitely in a more comfortable spot as a player. And I believe he's more of a rhythm shooter than he is just that. Okay. Drive and dish all the depot three, four times a game, knock them down. Yeah. And now he can maybe be the drive and dish guy. If he's surrounded by four shooters, I, I think there could be a serious uptake in his assist. Exactly. Um, the other guy who came over in that deal was Demonis Sabonis. He started a bunch of games for the Thunder last year. Um, you know, advanced numbers don't – they didn't love him just like they don't really love many young guys. So my my thought on that has always been sort of for a, a player's first two or three years in the league, you can kind of ignore that stuff and look more for just sort of what flashes you see from the guy while he's on the floor. Um, and it sounds to me – I mean, you would know this better than I would obviously, but – it sounds to me like the front office and the coaching staff is is pretty high on what this guy might be able to provide too. They're very high on him. And uh, that's something they've been mentioning a lot too in their press conferences earlier in the offseason. Obviously in the introductory press conference, everyone's confident in everybody. Yeah. But you know, that's just been he's been a, a frequent name when uh, during media day and all these other um, you know, press moments where players are asked who's been impressing you miles turner mentioned sabonis lance stevenson mentioned Sabonis. like a lot of people mentioned sabonis and during the preseason of course it's preseason but you still get to see some flashes he's shown to be a, a pretty good rebounder whether it's in traffic or tracking down boards and i think he kind of has a unique ability to possibly have that foot speed to keep up with some stretch fours, but also to have the size to back them down on the other end of the court. In addition to having shown potential as a jump shooter himself. So those are the type of unique big men that you want to create those nuanced advantages and having a stretch five, like miles Turner to maybe be his eventual front court partner. He can go inside like he did at Gonzaga when he almost posted up, I believe it was like 49% of the time of his offensive possessions. It was ridiculous. So like he, he, he was in a role last year that was completely opposite from what he was at Gonzaga, going from a heavy post-up center to being a high-volume stretch four for a Russell Westbrook-type freight train. is is The game's just so much faster. It's just it's a crazy adjustment. Yeah, that's about all I ever saw him do in OKC was just space out to about 15, 16 feet off of a Westbrook drive and shoot those mid-range shots. So it would be it would be nice to see him to be able to get back into his comfort zone a little bit. You, you kind of led into my next question on him. Do you think he profiles – so it sounds like you think he'll, he's kind of the eventual four for this team. I, I thought there might be a chance he'd be a backup five to Turner as well. Does, is there any of that, or is he just is he book, is he sort of – slotted in as a four already right now he's slotted in as the backup five i believe he okay. has possibly depending on what tj leaf can provide you know as a as a pro in the first few seasons of his career he could 
I could see him being a like starting Sabonis at the four and then playing minutes at the five throughout games when Turner's off the floor. Okay, that's kind of what I thought too. I, I thought you know a backup five right now, and that that complicates. Well, maybe it doesn't complicate things with Al Jefferson because he's kind of towards the end of his career anyway. But is that a guy that'll see minutes in that front court rotation? They said that Al Jefferson will play on an as-needed basis, and he's the third center. So I don't think he's in their everyday rotation. Okay, that makes sense. Um, The other new addition this summer, uh, since we're kind of going down that path, was obviously TJ Leaf, first-round draft pick. Um, His numbers were just off the charts at UCLA, and a lot of people pointed to the fact that he played with Lonzo Ball and got a ton of easy shots because of that. But... um, I mean, he was right there with, with lottery picks like Larry Markkinen in terms of just the raw numbers that he put up at UCLA. Um, and again, this is kind of a crowded front court. Like we've already mentioned, Al Jefferson is, is basically on the outs right now. Um, what kind of a role can TJ Leaf have in his first season? I think he could provide some, you know, as we were saying, uh, stretch four backup minutes behind uh, Thaddeus Young. And I think he'll probably gravitate towards being a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter because he doesn't really have that size to bang in the inside. And he has he's going to have an adjustment period when trying to make plays with the ball and being a finisher. Because he, he did, when I scouted him, I did see some issues with his finishing and his, his driving with his non-dominant hand. So, you know, like that, that stuff's in the scouting report. So, and, and you're going against faster, stronger players – and he's not someone who has those natural advantages in terms of obviously his explosiveness and his size. So I think he probably will have to naturally gravitate towards being like a catch and shoot three point shooter and a cutter and, you know, like a, a glass cleaner. Cause he, he showed at UCLA that he can really just crash the boards from the outside. And it was, it was a unique ability because not a lot of players will just fly in from the wing and then just throw themselves into a, a traffic rebounding situation. A lot of players will just run back on defense or just watch. So I think that's just doing dirty work when he can is is and knocking down threes is, is his role probably. Well, that's interesting because I mean we've it sounds like the four guys who are going to play in the four, front court are, are Young, Leaf, Turner, and Sabonis, and all four of those guys can I mean potentially stretch it out to the three-point line some of them already do yes exactly i agree with you there because like sabonis his numbers none of his numbers are very favorable at all like raw numbers advanced numbers anything's not favorable for him for what he did last year but if you watch him he he has a a smooth stroke and he has shown the potential to knock down three-point shots i feel like a lower volume would do him wonders so yeah I, i definitely agree with you there another interesting player that we haven't mentioned is ek anigbogu i probably butchered his last name Sounds but i could see me. him also yeah yeah i could also <laughs> see him getting some uh some backup uh five minutes eventually if sabonis becomes we're playing like probably mental gymnastics at this point or tetris but like uh sabonis could play quite a bit of minutes at the four with tj leaf being a backup and um i ek getting minutes at the five some minutes He's more of Anik Bogu is more of a like a roller crash the uh, you know dive to the rim type of guy, right? Or am I am I remembering him wrong? He's another UCLA guy. 
Oh yes, he he he's a very raw. He was a, I believe he was the youngest player in the draft with the second longest wingspan. And yeah, his his skill set is basically bang down low, grab boards, play defense, and he did show some pretty interesting ability to guard perimeter players. So that, he's a unique player to watch as he gets older and acclimates to the league. Yeah, I mean he like he's probably a couple years away, but that could be like a nice change of pace option. I mean, you have all these floor spacers in the front court. If you could go to a guy who's a rim roller for five or 10 minutes and maybe open things up for those shooters a little bit more, that, that would be an interesting sort of change up that they can throw at people. I, I definitely agree with you there. Cause you never know when matchups will have you face like a, a course, you know, uh, this isn't really like a, like exact example but like a Dwight Howard type guy who just pushes you around and is bigger than Turner and yeah I think he could be because he's already huge he's like 6'10 250 as an 18 year old oh wow and you said the second longest wingspan in the draft right yeah yeah he's I I remember hearing about his physical so I I think that's somebody that they can that we can definitely keep our eye on for the next couple years um another departure we we touched on Paul George they also the Pacers also lost their starting point guard Jeff Teague, and while I mean the numbers will say that he is comfortably better than Darren Collison was last year, I don't feel like it's like Indiana's fallen off a cliff here. I I feel like they recovered fairly well by picking Darren Collison back up. Yeah, I, I could see your point too. I I think I agree with you because um, in the what you lose, the small amount that you lose as a pick and roll ball handler based off their efficiency metrics last season, Darren Collison definitely makes up for it with his catch and shoot ability. And you want to take and alleviate pressure off of your young guys like you know Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo. Who you want to be your offensive focal points one day you don't want to just temporarily have a jeff teague who is going to take some iso and pick and roll possessions away from victor oladipo and some post-ups and isos and all that you know good stuff from miles turner too so i I do think it was a good idea and i don't think their defense is far off from each other either and overall, when you think about it, it just kind of seems like a cleaner fit if you do truly want to make Victor and Miles focal points. Yeah, especially with Oladipo. Like, if he's if they're going to make him into more of a combo guard or even closer to a point guard, somebody who's more of a catch-and-shoot threat makes way more sense for him. If he's running pick-and-rolls with Turner um, and he's he's flanked by... Bogdanovich on one wing and Collison on the other. That that makes a lot more sense to me. I definitely agree with you there because Jeff Teague also I feel like is one of those rhythm shooters. He's not a pure shooter as we all know, and you can't have a bunch of rhythm shooters. So I do like that move. They also added um, sticking with the point guard. They got Corey Joseph too, which I I thought was kind of a sneaky good move. Um, maybe it wasn't sneaky in Indiana, but uh, I think he's been one of the games better backup point guards for a couple of years now. He's been really solid behind Kyle Lowry in uh, Toronto. He was really good for the Spurs before that. Uh, I, I think he's, he, there might even be times when Indiana fans might be clamoring for him to start. I think he's that good, especially defensively. I honestly, when I went on a few uh, podcasts earlier in the summer, my, my inclination was to have Corey Joseph start. And that was admittedly before I went into, you know, deeper analysis 
of their numbers. But I, I do feel like for now that Collison probably is that guy because he's a better pick-and-roll ball handler and a more dynamic offensive player. But if you truly I, – I, not to, like, talk about other players when we should be talking about Corey Joseph too much, but, like, you know, if you just want that lower-usage guy who does have more size out on the perimeter like Joseph around Victor Oladipo, if he does truly show those signs that you want him to show, then I feel like I definitely – would go with that. I, I I think it truly depends on how Victor Oladipo does, but I, I definitely like what Joseph brings to the game because he's not he's someone who'll make the right plays. He's a capable threat in all forms of offense. He's not excellent in any one area. He's basically your ideal backup point guard. But if you need him to start alongside a budding star, if that's what he truly becomes, like in Oladipo, then I think that's a, a good fit, similar to how. Uh, George Hill fit along with the other, you know, perimeter players in Indiana, like Paul George and Lance Stevenson back in their day. Yeah, and I think I think generally speaking, Oladipo's reputation or his potential as a defender has sort of outweighed what he's actually done defensively. But I I do think the potential of a Joseph Oladipo pairing could be really really good defensively. Like they could lock down opposing backcourts. I, I I really agree with you. I, I also agree with your your thought about you know his reputation not necessarily being upheld in his execution because when you look at his advanced numbers, of course, it's not pretty for his defense. And I I did watch a lot of his clips, and I, I feel like he just needs discipline. Like I, I when you're not necessary, I, I don't know really how to like put it into words, but like he doesn't necessarily force an elite amount of turnovers despite having that great wingspan and explosiveness. And he doesn't necessarily force a whole lot of misses on, you know, closeouts and doesn't necessarily contain dribble penetration as well as he should. But Dan Burke being in town in Indiana, the organization, you know, loving great defense, maybe they could develop and, fix up some of his bad habits that was my next question actually is do you think that the indiana coaching staff um is the one that can kind of get him on the right track defensively i think if they're not i just don't know where he would go to do it but i'm confident in indiana's ability to develop defense so I'll, i'll go with a yes on that one and and mcmillan has um, you know, he's he's taken his fair share of criticism, but he's had some pretty strong defensive teams over the course of his career. So I, I think I would agree with you on that, too. Um, we've kind of hammered out the backcourt. The only guy that we haven't really touched on, at least I'm just looking at Roto World's depth chart. I think this is a guy that could probably spend a lot of time at the three as well, but a, a Pacers legend, in my mind, Lance Stevenson. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. What is this guy going to provide this season? I think... He is probably one of those, like if you go into Google and type Swiss Army Knife <laughs> images, he's probably going to be there for this year. He is he is truly going to be in a strange role, but his base role will be that sixth man, uh, run the offense, make plays for us as our initial creator, and that's that's the the role you want Lance Steven I don't you know of course if you have Lance Stevenson and you believe in Lance that's the role you want him to be in because you don't want him as he had a bad season in Charlotte and in those other stops he's not someone you want spotting up a lot and 
having those pieces that he'll have around him with a Glenn Robinson, the third being healthy, a backup back or front court. I mean, that can space the floor and Corey Joseph being a low usage guard. Who's also a capable floor spacer. That sounds pretty darn good to me. And with Glenn Robinson, the third being out for the next four months, practically probably maybe even more, you know, he's going to get minutes at the, at the three, unless they play, you know, the 37 year old, Damian Wilkins, which I, I don't know if that would go over too well, taking minutes away from Pacers, cult leader, and legend Lance Stevenson. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, the way he just impacts, not to ramble too much, but you know, the small forward spot is a strong defensive rebounding position. And he, last season with Indiana, I know it's a small sample size, but he's always been a strong defensive rebounder. He had the same defensive rebounding percentage as Miles Turner at 19.6%. Oh, man. So if you do need rebounding to solidify that, and you do need some more playmaking ability. And he also has a very long wingspan too, so he may not be the ideal height for a small forward, but he does have those the strength and the other intangibles to make up for it. He I could see him being someone that could possibly earn, you know, a, a bigger role or at least play, you know, more at small forward throughout the season. And that's a an interesting lineup when you if Oladipo can kind of rehab his unguarded catch and shoot ability and I, I like their point guards in both units alongside him so you have capable floor spacers all across the board that's an interesting lineup because not to ramble too much but like no, you're fine. Paul George okay good I, I just <laughs> didn't want to want to leave you on an island there that's why but you're Paul on George, here yeah <laughs> Paul George obviously provided a strong playmaking impact and there's I could see the philosophy where you could be like all right we don't want to lose so much playmaking by losing Paul George and putting all of our eggs in the Oladipo basket. So why not have almost two playmakers with a Stevenson and an Oladipo? Because he's going to obviously, I, I feel obviously, provide you a greater defensive impact regardless of stats than Boyan Bogdanovich. Even though I'm pretty sure stats would be in my favor if I if I looked over their career numbers and all that. So like, I think if, cause Boyan hasn't, I don't really feel like to make up for all of his lack of impact on the defensive end of the floor. And as a nuanced contributor in rebounding and facilitation and forcing turnovers, all that good stuff, his shooting isn't good enough to make up for that. So I would rather put my uh, money on Lance Stevenson's playmaking and nuanced impact over Boyan Bogdanovich's jump shooting. That's been my thought with Bogdanovich um, for pretty much his whole career, especially this summer since Indiana acquired him, was he hits threes and he hits them at a decent rate, uh, but he, like you laid out, he literally does nothing else. It's not just that he's a bad defender, which he is. He doesn't create for other people. Um, he doesn't rebound. He doesn't get steals, like you said. Like there's, That's literally his one contribution so that was one that was one area of that starting lineup like when I look at Indiana's lineup right now um, you know it's not as scary as it was with Paul George but all the pieces kind of fit to me but the one that I thought maybe they could do something here was small forward and, and with Bogdanovich I definitely agree with you there I I know he may not be the best uh, or most liked player on social media but Rudy Gay I felt like could have been someone who could have provided a more 
versatile, nuanced impact at the three, even though I think he's better at the four, mm-hmm. or a Gallinari. But then again, you have to think, all right, well, we're not all all in on one season, of course, with the circumstances, and they have a lot of salary cap flexibility. So I do like what they um, like the options that they have because that's a great contract for uh, Bogdanovich. And the way ask, they was that only one year? Yeah, it's a it it it's an option for the second okay. year. No, 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 not option. It's un, it's non fully guaranteed. Okay. Where only two million, it's either two million or two point two five million is only guaranteed. But he's on the books for ten total million, so you can use it as a trade chip to you know you don't have to package a higher salary to entice a team to take him because some teams will want shooters, as you know, and you could just throw in another more enticing piece and maybe just get someone like Zach Lowe pointed out by taking you know maybe a flyer on. A Brandon Ingram or a Justice Winslow, of course, not saying it's a possibility or anything, but just just those ideas are along the right path because we both agree they need a better small forward or unless you believe that Glenn Robinson III can take the next step. But I would want to be patient with his development because he's been a late bloomer and he's coming off an injury, even though he does have the intangibles to be, I believe, a strong, small forward. But yeah, I I think to unpack that all, I, I do think that they should look to upgrade that small forward spot if they want to be more competitive for sure, but definitely over the summer, if they, if they don't want to prolong a rebuild. That's a good point. Um, I I think like, like you said, teams want shooting and there's going to be a point maybe around the trade deadline where some contenders like, well, we can take a flyer on this guy and just play him like 10 or 15 minutes where for us, it's not going to matter that he can't do all that other stuff for us. All he needs to do is shoot threes. Um, so I do think some team could come after him. Uh, I kind of wanted to double back too on uh, go back to Lance Stevenson for a second. Ever since that 2013-14 season, um, I've just been kind of wondering: Will Lance Stevenson ever recapture that? Like since then, he's been, in terms of numbers, just objectively not very good. But he was he was so good that one year. And was that just lightning in a bottle? Like, is Frank Vogel the, the Stevenson whisperer? Is there any chance he even comes close to that kind of impact again? And, and kind of what I'm thinking is, I, if there's a team that is set up for him to, to showcase what he can do again, it might be this sort of a Pacers team. I, I definitely agree that it would be this Pacers team because you it's, it's in a situation where Lance isn't going to score a whole lot of points as an off-ball threat so he does need the ball in his hands to an extent to make to whether he's the initial creator of a sequence or to even make the extra pass because he's not a selfish player he's a crafty um passer and can definitely make the right plays but there are there will be one to two to three lance moments throughout games where you're just like what what why what what just happened did he drive it to the baseline and there's a double team he dribble off his leg what just ha- what but yeah you know there's stuff like that but overall when you do factor in how not to hammer it home too much but his rebounding his passing ability and you know i i know we we talk a lot about weight room off season stuff where it's like, Oh, gains and all that stuff. But he has been working very hard in the gym. He's in the best shape truly actually of his life. He has been working. Like he shed a lot of weight. Like he was in bad shape 
when he came back to Indiana to finish that season. He was like 230 pounds, and he he said he wasn't even going to try to play the rest of the season. But Indiana gave him a call, so like he he was at Banker's Life Fieldhouse almost every day. So if this is the year, it it would be this year. Like if there is a year, I mean. So yeah, I, I just I, I do think you know as we were talking, kind of like about how a team set up with Oladipo. I think that's similar to how you'd want a team set up for Lance, and that second unit is set up for him like that. Yeah, I'm maybe I'm more optimistic about Lance than most people, but I, I I agree. I just feel like if there's a situation, and I don't like I don't think he's ever going to get back to the triple double producing guy that he was for that one season. Um, and he had a he had a above average true shooting percentage like. It really did seem like a lot of stars aligned for that, but I don't think that he's—I don't think he's the player he's been for the last three years either. So if he's kind of in shape, or not kind of—if he's in shape, like you said he was, I, I'll be really interested to see what he can provide this season. Yeah, I definitely think this is if you're a if you're part of the the Lance cult of Indiana <laughs> Pacers fans, I, I think this is your year because you know like. He, he actually has a legitimate role with the team, and that's been his problem with a lot of these other teams. Going to Charlotte was was a terrible fit, in my opinion, and it turned out to be a terrible fit. Mm-hmm. And being traded, he didn't get to choose where he went, and he didn't go to good fits either, except he did put up good numbers that that little stint he had with Memphis. Of course, there, it wasn't really playing for much because – well, and that's not true. They made the playoffs. That's that's not true. But yeah, he he put up fourteen. He was basically pretty good 14, there. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, yeah. So like like when he has that actual role, I do feel like he can give you. Uh, I'm not. I wouldn't say quite like he did in 2013, 14 season, but I think he can give you a legitimate, strong role player's impact. And I. I yeah, like like going back to the Frank Vogel, the Lance Whisperer type thing. I feel like Vogel being a player's coach was able to keep him in check and having leadership like David West. But also going through all of that adversity, I do feel like he has become a mature, a more mature player. And I don't think he necessarily has to have, you know, that that Vogel or West type of um, leadership to keep him in line because he's not that reckless personality that he was while he is a a unique guy where he, you know, he's a, he's a interesting guy, like to say the least, like, you know, he's, he's meme worthy material. Almost every time he steps on, he's, he's eccentric, I should say. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. But yeah, yeah. I don't think he's like a, a, not like a knucklehead in the locker room. He's actually, believe it or not, I know some people who haven't followed Lance for the last few seasons, they may think this is completely insane, but he's viewed as a leader in Indiana. Well, I think five teams over the last two seasons would probably humble just about any NBA player. So, I, I mean, I'm with you on that. The, the one other guy that you mentioned, um, as we've just kind of been circling around the wing situation, was Glenn Robinson. Um I mean, there's there's been flashes from him as well. It looks like right now he's dealing with an ankle injury, um, but he there's not. I mean, there's going to be minutes available on the wing. Is is kind of what I'm having a hard time getting out there. Um, what do you think happens with him this season? It's kind of I, I was I was on the Glenn Robinson the third 
uh, you know, train, whatever you, you would say. Like, I felt like before he got injured, he was going to have a strong season. And because uh, I, I gained some insight when I interviewed him, and I, I, picked a, I picked his trainer's brain, Joey Burton, too, about what exactly they were working on. And he they do a fantastic job of utilizing the analytics and they, they even read my breakdown too of like, <laughs> I, I did an insane, insane amount of, it was like 10,000 words comparing Bogdanovich and Glenn Robinson, the third overall offensively and defensively. So like uh, it, it was, it was just like insane amount of, of words and all that stuff and data. But yeah, so like they, they like, for example, like working on left transition, unguarded catch and shoot shots like if he was bad on that they, they would focus extra on that and work on it and just bang it home and i feel like when you work hard but work smart then you're definitely going to be in a good spot and he he's always had those physical tools and he's never really had the role necessarily as uh you know a player in the nba because he's always had an incredibly low usage rate and he hasn't even been able to really find time on the court until last season consistently and I felt like this this is obvious you know, like as you're saying, obviously this is his best chance as a player to have both the minutes and the role. And I feel like he is in a position to where he can put it together. Yeah, he'll be another one that's really interesting to to me, uh, to kind of see how this season plays out. I think I could say that for a bunch of different guys up and down this roster. Uh like change is hard sometimes, but at the same time, I, I love to see what a team does when it's sort of forced to pivot. And I think that's kind of the situation that Indiana is in this season. So they're going to be a team that I'm definitely going to pay attention to. I don't think they are completely cratered by losing Paul George. I think they have some interesting pieces in place now. And um, that's kind of my long-winded way of getting to back to you. Where where do you think, if all, if everybody kind of comes close to hitting their ceiling or does hit their ceiling, what is sort of the best case scenario for this Pacers team in terms of wins and, and where you think they'll finish in the East? Well, I think if everyone kind of does, you know, as you were saying, reaches that near that ceiling, I do think a low, a very low playoff spot could be, you know, it's just tough because there are some better teams in the East, obviously speaking with regards to the Cleveland's Boston's and, you know, now po- probably Phillies if Joel Embiid can stay healthy and same with Ben Simmons. But like, I, I, I think Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo have, have pretty high potential as a player. And then those other role players, you know, they haven't really been able to prove much, but they do have some pretty interesting ceilings as well. So when you have all of those guys kind of hitting close to full throttle, yeah, I could see that eight to ten range. I, I feel like they're a weird team where they have a low floor, but an interesting ceiling, if that makes sense. Because if it doesn't all align, and Miles Turner struggles, Victor Oladipo struggles, and it, it just all crumbles at that point, and that, that's quite possible. We don't know yet. So you know, it could be anywhere from like twelve. I feel like to ten, eight. I, I don't know. You can really put a pin on anything for this team. Cause it's one of the most wide ranging Pacers teams that I've really covered in recent seasons. But yeah, that's basically it's it, expect the unexpected, I would say. So I, I think I'm pretty much in the same place as you. I think there's an established, I'll say top five in the East with the Cavs, the Celtics, 
the Bucks, the Wizards, and the Raptors. Um, not necessarily in that order. And then after that, I think there's a huge clump of teams, like anywhere from 6 to 12 or 13. And you could throw all those teams in a hat and shake it up and pull them out, and I wouldn't. I, I might not be surprised by any order. Um, and I think the Pacers are absolutely in that group. So it might sound kind of crazy, but uh, I think they could get as high as like 6th or 7th. Um, but again, that's if, if everything just sort of breaks right. If Turner continues his uh, ascension, if Oladipo gets back to kind of what he was or better than, than he was in Orlando and everything else kind of hits, I think they could be like low 40s. And to me, that's, that's possibly 6th or 7th in the East. Um, what do you think about worst case scenario? I, I don't think I probably overplayed their floor because I'm looking at projected standings right now. They're definitely not worse than like the Chicago Atlantas. I don't think they're worse sure. than New York yeah. or Brooklyn and probably not. And definitely, I don't think they're not definitely, but I don't think they're worse than Orlando either. And then when you really think about it too, Charlotte losing Batum for a little bit, they could maybe if they start out early, jump him and detroit i'm a worried about detroit I, I'm not, too. yeah go ahead. that's exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> yeah i was exactly i was thinking the exact same thing because they they always seem to be almost that trendy type of eastern conference this is our year to finally take that next step type of um you know team and i just i feel like andre drummond he doesn't he he shows in the box score but i don't see it necessarily when you break down the film, I, I don't think he's a guy you can really build around as a focal point of your franchise. And I don't think they have enough talent around those other spots. So I could totally see if we're talking a solid to best case scenario for Indiana's building blocks, you know, with their potential, I, I, I could see them being better Detroit too. And then you never know with Philly's health. Of course, they have two premier young players who you know, they have an injury history and especially Embiid. You just don't know. Now, of course, you never want anyone to get hurt, but you just don't know. And as we're saying, Charlotte and possibly I, I do like Miami. Like, you know, I, I like them, but I like Miami. Too. We're talking. Yes, me too. But if we're talking best case scenario for Indiana's building blocks with some solid role players. It's it's kind of interesting. I, I don't think they could they would jump Miami in the best case because Glenn Robinson the third being out until mid December, that like they need him at that small forward spot. So I think they could struggle early because you just when you go up against as you know I'm sure I don't need to really explain it, but just to emphasize it, you have Boyan Bogdanovich and you're going against the LeBrons, Kades, Paul George, yeah. Kawhi Leonard types. You're gonna get roasted all like, like it's just it's not going to work out for you and i know they play okc and some teams with some premier small forwards early so i i don't think they'll be able to jump miami so i i agree with you i think anything from that six if it's absolutely best case scenario to seven to eight would be a good range for them what do you think about worst case oh yeah that's what we were trying to discuss oh, i fine. think eight to ten actually as uh, yeah i okay. think I still think, uh, like, the, and I'm going to say this about just about every Eastern Conference team in this mix, but I think they're in like a 6 to 12 range. And I know that sounds wide, but I just think um, there's that many teams in play at that port, portion uh, of the Eastern Conference. I think they're definitively better than the Hawks and Bulls, um, most likely better than some of the other teams you mentioned, like the Nets and the Magic and probably the Knicks. But 
I can't say for sure about those other ones. So I think it's like a maybe like a six to twelve, six to thirteen type of a situation. Actually, I think that's. I completely agree with that. Um, unless you have anything else you wanted to hit on this roster or with this team, I think we've pretty much covered it top to bottom. Um, can you tell the listeners again, Grant, where they can find you on Twitter and around the internet? Well, you can find me with my just first and last name because uh, as far as I know, I'm the only person on planet Earth with the name Grant Afseth. <laughs> so uh, at Grant, A-F-S-E-T-H. And I'm sure if you search it anywhere, you'll probably find it on any social media platform. But not to really get too much into it, but one interesting aspect I feel like gets under-discussed is Thaddeus Young. I feel like oh, if I, the team – You know what? Yeah. I did Yeah, like <laughs> – Go for yeah, it. Like, yeah, like it's it's just he's he kind of slips under the um the I'm cracks, very, if you will. I'm very glad you did that. So proceed. So Thaddeus Young, you know, he's someone who who played an important role for Indiana's defense. He forced a lot of turnovers last season, and he showed some signs of being a capable stretch four, but his wrist kind of, you know, in February got injured and you can't really for sure say Thaddeus is a stretch for yet because the sample size, but he, he's, he's an interior player too, as he showed in Brooklyn with his post skills. So he's got the pieces overall and as a role man too, not to really throw around a bunch of like fragments, but you know, he's an interesting guy because when you think about contenders also, he's a trade chip that some contenders who need that kind of like, again, that Swiss army knife type of role player, especially if he shows that, that stretch for capability. And, you know, I, I think there are some teams that could definitely use his services and you could just further a rebuild or just give DeMontis Sabonis a lot of minutes or TJ Leaf, whoever you feel more confident in at the time. So I, I think that's an interesting dynamic to their options, too, because as we were mentioning earlier, a Darren Collison or a Boyan Bogdanovich's trade options, you know, you, you add in Thaddeus Young and those packages get quite a bit better. So let me say again, I'm really glad that you... <laughs> Um, brought us back on track here to, to talk about Thaddeus Young. I, I feel uh, ashamed that I glossed over him. He's a guy that I have, I've been a big fan of his, like way back to his early years in Philadelphia. I, I think he does so many different things well, especially as a power forward. He has a lot of wing skills as a power forward, and he was kind of ahead of the game in that regard. And last year, and, and I agree, it's not a great sample size, but he shot 38% from three for the Pacers, even with playing with and through the wrist injury. Um, now, he's, you, you'd probably want to see that for a season or two before you fully trust it. But uh, to add that to a game that was already as versatile as his, his ability to rebound and get steals and, and just sort of be all over the floor as a defender, um, if he has three-point shooting now too, he's he's really interesting. I definitely agree. Like those, those Zach Lowe proposals with they didn't even he didn't have them giving up Thaddeus Young at all with just like you know Corey Joseph and a Bogdanovich for an interesting player in Winslow like those packages get a lot better when you do have a Thad Young in there would you want them to get put Thad Young in there though I mean if if personally if you believe in your free agency I I don't think I would because I think Thaddeus Young like 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 uh, when you get into it, he'll be 
I'm confident he'll be an overall great front court partner as a perimeter defender and in the offensive nuances for Miles Turner. Unless DeMontis Sabonis just really just busts out onto the scene and you're like, wow, that there, this is undeniable. We have to start him. And then you get that 14 to 15 million off the books that Thaddeus Young has just to further your ability to sign a, you know, a top tier or even a quality wing starter next summer. I, I think that's really the only time I would include him in a trade offer. It seems like he's been in the league forever, but he's still only 28 years old. Um, which is like smack dab in the middle of your prime. He could have another four or five solid years left. So I think, I mean, if he if he plays the way he did for most of the last two years and can stay healthy this time, that's a guy who could be sort of the veteran leader um, for a team that's that's focused on Turner and Oladipo. Definitely, it just requires patience and a. A retooling process and as you were saying like like the point guard and shooting guard spots they weren't necessarily cratered by paul george's departure they just of course need that wing player again and they'll have a lot of money i haven't really looked too in depth into the free agent market next season but you never know just throw a bunch of money and because i know a lot of money's been spent the last two free agency periods so someone might just be like well my best option actually is indiana let's go sign that contract yeah and especially if it if if turner takes another step forward this season that could be a guy that suddenly players want to play with um well, yeah. so again i'm glad you <laughs> you brought up thad young i even had him pulled up on basketball reference at like the very beginning of the show i just um glossed over it um like grant said you can find him on twitter at grant afseth and i too i don't think i've ever come across that name other than you um so i don't think it should be hard for people to find you and again you can follow his work on indianasportscovers.com um and go over and check out miles turner's website and you'll find stuff on there that grant's edited uh you can follow me on twitter as well i'm at andrew d bailey dan is at dan favalli F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And as always, if you guys could leave us a review or a rating, that'd be great. Uh, Subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. That would be great. And as always, we end the show with the obligatory shout-out to Bino Udri. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Five-hour tea with caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from Green Tea Leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5HourEnergy.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.